Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Surprised you there, John. One and oh, the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> Surprised you a little bit with the new intro there. One and oh, last picture there that you saw if you're watching the YouTube video. That's John and I at the Cincinnati Bengals game. We had never met each other except for we've, we've had a lot of conversations over video. We finally got to meet each other in person, which was awesome. A fantastic weekend on so many fronts, including the fact that, John, the Bengals are one and oh. They won a one possession game. Can you believe it? Uh, how you feeling, buddy? How you doing? It was it was great, man. It was a great weekend, but didn't compare it, I guess, to your weekend. Tell us all about your Cincinnati experience. Oh wow, yeah, it it was absolutely incredible. I got to meet so many great people that I've either connected with on Twitter or had you know kind of longstanding these online type of relationships, friendships with with so many folks, including yourself, John and. Uh, everybody was incredibly hospitable and, you know, there's so many people that I met that were just so gracious and spoke highly of our show and just were very complimentary. And of course, talk to talk some bangles. I have to, I have to uh, give, definitely give some gratitude, uh, especially to uh, Bangle Jim. He threw a big tailgate party and he just did, you know, he kind of rolled out the red carpet as he always does for, for a lot of people. And, he was very kind to me, my brother, and my nephew that were there. And he specifically stopped Ken Anderson before he was he was trying to hustle out of there. And he's like, "No, no, no, you got to you got to meet these guys." So uh, he he specifically got got us to meet him. And uh, you know, there's so many so many cool people that I met. Um, there's you know Tommy and Eric and Justin and uh, you know the list goes on and on. At Aurelius FC on on Twitter. Uh, he actually is a little un- unsung hero. He did a lot of stuff to help out Jim's tailgate. So it was great seeing him. It was great seeing so many people, uh, you know, that were, that were there. There were a few people that I did not get to see that I wish I had, including Orange Arrow and Bengals captain. I guess Yaz was out there and we were at the same tailgate, I guess, just at different times. So we didn't get to coordinate that and, and see each other there, but so many cool people that were there and it was just a really, really fun experience. We took in the UC game uh, on Saturday, which was a, a win. And then of course, another win on Sunday where I got to, I got to meet you at halftime, which was awesome. So um, cool stuff, just a great weekend and capping it off with a, with a big overtime win, man. Um, couldn't ask for anything more. It's not often that two celebrities meet each other in like the hot dog <laughs> line, you know? <laughs> That's right. Brian Evans, another one that, that, uh, I met out there. It was, it was cool. So, um, 
you know, just just great meeting everybody. That that's I mean, the game was awesome, but being around when I go to Bengal games, it's like more often than not away. So there's not a lot of home, <laughs> not a lot of uh, home vibes uh, with it. So it was just a really, really cool thing. And um, yeah, I just appreciate the hospitality from everybody and the the kind words that they had to say about what I do, what you do, what we do together on this show. And it was cool. It was cool. And uh, it was it was a little hot on Sunday. I won't I won't lie. But our side got the shade later in the game, which was cool. But uh, yeah, good time, man. Good time. Veteran move on your part to get on to get it on the uh, west side because that's when the sun sets. Those people on the east side they they just bake all day. Uh, I've, I, I've seen it for twenty years now. <laughs> I wish I could say that we. It was. I wish I could say that was by design. It was mostly just get there and uh, be on the Bengals sideline type of thing. Was was more <laughs> more what it was. We didn't gauge the you know the sun trajectory or anything like that. But uh, it was it was awesome, man. It was awesome. So. Uh, at any at any rate, um, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, and uh, I wish I could talk about this my, my experience all night, but we're not going to do that because it would bore the hell out of a lot of people. But it was awesome. We've got a lot to talk about, including the big win for the Cincinnati Bengals against the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to kind of do our own little award show, maybe, slash game balls. We're going to break down some stuff and uh, what we thought about some coaching decisions, schemes, that sort of thing, and just kind of talk a little bit about the game. We've got a brief soundbite of the week. We've got a Believe It or Not segment. And then, of course, we have another game to preview now that the regular season has officially kicked off. And it's a big one next week as well, even though it's an interconference game. A big one for familiarity reasons, once again, for the second week in a row. So, John, I will let you take it away here. What what did you think overall about... Zach Taylor's scheme. Uh, let's let's start on offense, I guess. Zach Taylor's some of his decisions, the scheme in terms of the, the running game, what you saw out of Joe Burrow. Um, I know this is probably a, a bit broad, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised a bit about the balance in terms of the carries and touches that Joe Mixon got and the pass attempts by Joe Burrow. I think it speaks a lot to what fans are conditioned to believe is good game management and archaic game management, because I think for the most part, we can talk about the fourth downs, right? Like just the fourth and one at the 30, not very popular decision because it didn't work and allowed the Vikings to score just four plays later. But on the flip side of that, there's also the conservative, the, the conservatism, to run a lot on early downs and have like the most conservative game plan compared to the entire NFL in terms of when they were expected to pass. So right now it's, it's a weird dichotomy for me because it's clear if it, if it's not confirmed, it, it's very evident that they seem to have Joe Burrow on some sort of a dropback uh, pitch count, which is what Zim Huday, our, our friend and partner said on Twitter, like they want to limit the amount of traditional dropbacks that he's taking right now, just to limit the amount of opportunities where he can get hurt and, and feel pressured. And with that is supplemented with a, a running game that honestly, like the, the play calling, it, it worked, you know, they were successful against a very good defense, but I remember in the early two thousands, a lot of those offenses with Bob Rakowski run, run pass this overcommitment to the running game, even when it didn't work, but that was just the status quo. That was how you manage games. And even though it, it, it's 
the running game was working. There was a lot of positive runs. There was not a lot of times where Mixon was stopped in the backfield. He was gaining positive gains every single time out there. I am interested to see how this progresses going forward. Is this just something that is occurring during during the beginning of the season just to get Burrow's feet wet and then the game plan kind of opens up a little bit more? Because aside from that deep ball to chase, the offense wasn't as explosive as it maybe felt in the moment, especially when looking back on it. I, I am interested to see how much more aggressive they get in terms of play calling, but I applaud them greatly for all their fourth down decisions. It's not that hard to get a yard. Joe Mixon doesn't trip on Isaiah Prince. If Isaiah Prince just makes that block, he gets the yard. And there were also some just missed opportunities that would have opened the game up a lot more. You look at the Joe Burrow miss to Mike Thomas, that was probably going to be a touchdown. That makes the game a lot more open. It doesn't make it, it doesn't allow the Vikings to kind of collapse down on a 14 point lead. I just think that for me, like personally, my complaints are not necessarily on the overaggression of, of the fourth down and the, the aggressiveness to go for it. It's honestly just, a question, a question right, right now is how aggressive are they going to be on these early downs? Are they just going to force feed Mixon to protect Burrow because they don't fully trust the interior of their offensive line yet? Or is that just going to be something that we see consistent going forward? So I'm going to pull up some of the, the statistics here. It's on NFL.com, their scores page here. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with what on the right-hand side here. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the numbers at this point right now. Joe Burrow, 20 of 27, 261 two touchdowns. And then of course you look at, you know, those 27 pass attempts, but 32 dropbacks, Joe Mixon, you know, 27 pass attempts by Burrow, Joe Mixon, 29 carries, and then another four catches by Mixon as well. So he was the focal point. And I think to your point, John, it's, it will be very, very interesting to see if the Bengals continue to stick to this plan. And like you said, I mean, aside from the Jamar chase, big play, there was one 19-yard run by Joe Mixon. Other than that, I, I would say, you know, there wasn't it wasn't an explosive offensive output. Um, I would say, given the fact that there were no turnovers by the Cincinnati Bengals, and the fact that uh, you know Mixon w- was heavily involved and just it was kind of methodical and efficient. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it, you know, explosive despite the one play there. But I I want to get your your take on this because I think what what that play showed, and we'll talk about Jamar Chase, believe me, in a number of different ways, but what that play showed a bit was, you know, the Bengals were able to run the ball a little more effectively, at least in this game for, you know, for 21 here. I I just wonder a little bit if that now opened a play, allowed them to open up that play call and get Chase open a bit more because they were keeping the defense a bit more honest by being able to run the ball. Whether or not it was these gigantic chunk plays or not, they were able to run, run the ball and they were, you know, committing to it. I'm not even sure because pe- people don't, I haven't talked about it, but Burrow was like half a second away from getting hit on that play. The Vikings, I think, sent five rushers, which is abnormal for a Mike Zimmer defense. Yeah. And Jonah Williams had to pass off his guy to get the guy on the edge. And then uh, um, someone just kind of broke three between Williams and Spain. And he was like half a step behind Burrow, but that's what the, that route is, right? It's not necessarily about can your offensive line protecting time. It's just that ball is going to get out at the top of his drop after like two seconds. It's just a matter of can chase separate deep. And that's exactly what he did. Like Jamar chase looked exactly like the receiver we saw at LSU. Only this time he was even a more savvier and refined route runner. He created separation 
against Patrick Peterson of all, of all people on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. And even T Higgins looked like the guy that we all expected him to look like. I, I do think that in, in terms of, of the, the, I had a point and I just lost it, but <laughs> no, no, no. All right. All right. So the balance, I, I, the balance opening up a play like that, is that, do you think right. that there's viability in that sentiment or is that, I don't know. Is that something where it's just kind of like, well, that that was just Burrow and Chase, and that's that's really all there is to it. I think I think it's more more of the latter. I I, I do think that coaches believe it to be a thing, but it doesn't actually compute on paper. But I, I do like your point about it just feeling methodical and just feeling efficient. Like that game plan works, where it's twenty nine runs, twenty seven passes. It works when you only have what like one penalty on offense. I know they had two in the game, but one of the ones on defense. Maybe maybe they had no penalties on offense. I don't think they got called for holding at all. No penalties on offense, no turnovers. Like that is the formula for winning in an ideal world. You just run the ball. You don't have any negative gains. You don't turn the ball over. You don't move the ball back with penalties. Yeah, they got sacked a few times because of some mishaps with the running backs. I think Drew Sample gave up a, a, a sack and one-on-one pass protection, but for the most part, they didn't really have any negative plays. So, and that was the problem last year, right? They got sacked a bunch. They were penalized a lot with a lot of miscues on the offensive line. And because they had all of that compounded with a lack of explosion on offense, that was the issue. But you just take away those negative plays and in both penalties and, and, and in the run game, and you can get away with this game plan where you don't have to be explosive on offense all the time. So again, it worked in this game and it worked against a great defense. So credit to them, but I'm interested to see how sustainable it is going forward if things don't go the way that they're supposed to. So you mentioned it a little bit here. The Bengals, uh, I'm pretty sure they went for three fourth downs, right? Successful on two of them. And I would say two of them were, here's here's my take on it, John. One was in uh, Vikings territory and it ended up leading to a score. Success, obviously. I mean, it was, I think they were at the Vikings 25 yard line on that occasion. One uh, at the end of the game, uh, in overtime was at their own 47, 48 yard line. Mm-hmm. And to me, I like that call a lot because that told me we're not going for the tie. Now it could have been Joe Burrow that audibled out of that. There's that's kind of the report at this point, but they, at that point, they were not going for the tie. They were not going to punt it away. They were not going to go for some, you know, if they went for a long field goal at that point, you know, who knows what happens. It, it just, you know, there are so many different, scenarios there i don't even think a long field goal would have been that viable from that distance anyway but the bottom line is that play call specifically was for the win they weren't playing to tie at that point but the one that everybody's kind of talking about was the one at their own 30 yard line you you mentioned it a little bit i i I like the aggressiveness i i don't know if i like it um that call in that situation when you're kind of you've kind of got control of the game already as a with a 14 point lead with about a quarter and a half to play. What did you think about all of those play calls? I mean, I know when it works, it's awesome. And when it doesn't, it's not, but did you agree with, with the aggressiveness of Zach Taylor on all three occasions, despite the outcomes? Yes. And I love playing devil's advocate with this because it is entirely results-based. The entire discourse is entirely dependent upon what happened, which is just not, how you analyze process at all like we we can talk about you know expected outcomes and win probabilities and stuff like that and that is a valuable tool and i think a lot of coaches specifically the ravens they love to utilize that and i don't really know how much the Bengals are interested 
and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, a lot of these decisions are based off of feel and just how they feel their offense is, is um, computing at that specific moment in time. In that drive, I think the Bengals got sacked. I think uh, Trey Hopkins kind of got beat and Burrow got sacked for a loss of like six or eight. And then it was like third and 16 and they threw a slant to Jamar Chase. And he arguably almost got the first down. Like it was, it was called fourth and one, but it probably should have been fourth and inches like it was in midfield and overtime. So I think they kind of got screwed on the spot a little bit. I don't know if, if, if Taylor ever even thought to challenge it or someone told him that the, the spot was kind of garbage, but they should have been in an area where they could have just easily snuck it. But even still, like knowing what that offense was doing at that moment, like they were more or less more times than not successful in just getting positive yards. Their offensive line was generating movement against a very good defensive line of the Vikings. I don't think they thought like even if they had control of the game, like they didn't see it as like a, a risk necessarily. They just saw half a yard with a running back that eventually got 130 yards behind an offensive line that was consistently pushing guys back. It just happened to not work. And I think Zach Taylor said it perfectly in the press conference. I wish I would have called a different play based off what that what the personnel for the Vikings was going up against. But I don't back down. I, I stand by that decision to go for it. And the Vikings only scored like they scored on fourth down. Like the Bengals almost stopped them. Like they, they, if Mike Hilton Mike stays in front of Adam Thielen on that slant, they get the ball back at exactly where they started from. So we can go back and forth about what they should and what they should have done. I think the process was fine based off how the offense was going and what they were feeling. They just got to get a yard. It's not that hard to get a yard. It's not that hard to call a play to get a yard. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. It's still, I, I still, I guess, trend a little old school about being on your own 30 at that point. But I also see some of our commenters that are saying, you know, if you can't get a yard, kind of what you said, if you can't get a yard, you maybe don't deserve it. That sort of thing. I guess I just, in that situation, I, I was just, it, it was a little jarring, but you know, like, like you said, it took a fourth down play and a big play by the Vikings to get back in the game. And that's what happened. Really. They got back in the game from there. We'll continue on a little bit more offense and then we'll talk defense and some other things about this game here. Offensive line, John, the, the Bengals tackles Jonah Williams, Riley reef in what 31, 32 dropbacks did not allow a hit, a pressure or a sack. Now, complete opposite from particularly two other positions on the interior of the offensive line, namely Trey Hopkins and Xavier Suofilo. Spain could have been credited with a with a sack as well, but he had a very high pro football focus grade. I believe he was the fourth highest rated guard by pro football focus for week one, which is you know a pretty good feat there. So your overall impressions of the offensive line, I thought the tackles played very well. I'm I'm concerned about Trey Hopkins being rushed back out there a little bit. Maybe it's just week one. Maybe it's Mike Zimmer getting to do what he likes to do best. But uh, there there's five sacks is five sacks, right? <laughs> so there there are some cause for concern, but I think there's also some cause for optimism as well. Right, it's a number that displeases people. It makes them uncomfortable. They saw Burrow fall to the ground five times, and a couple times it looks a little bit weird a little bit ugly he kind of uh walk uh, got up from one of them and was a little bit a little bit shaken from it so it obviously doesn't please fans but at the end of the day only two of them were because of specific offensive linemen getting beat one-on-one -on -one. one of them was just a delayed blitz where it's mike zimmer that's what he does he's he's kind of a dick when it comes to that like he just it, it's hard it, it really is hard to scheme uh, protection schemes 
against the Mike Zimmer defense because yep. you just yep. don't know which guys are blitzing. We've seen it for so many years when he was calling defense for the Bengals. Trey Hopkins, I think, is the main concern here. And watching the game again, I don't think necessarily it was because his knee was giving him trouble. I just, I genuinely think that for him not taking a lot of reps in practice, he was on a pitch count in practice. Billy Price was taking starter reps at the beginning of the training camp. He had as many preseason snaps as Joe Burrow did. I don't think he got enough exposure coming back from that injury to be thrusted down to the starting lineup and expected to play at his normal standard. But that is the thing to remember. He does have a standard of quality play, and that's why you can feel confident that after maybe a couple of these games, he will start to reacclimate back to his normal standard. And this was a rough game. He had a rough competition against Michael Pierce and Dallin Tomlinson, two very talented defensive tackles. Pierce specifically got the better of him on a couple of those plays. Yeah. He looked rusty. That, I think that's at the end of the day what it is. And honestly, watching the game again, I know Suofilo allowed Burrow to get hit on that touchdown to Higgins, and that was a really ugly rep. I don't think he played as bad as I think maybe the narrative is with him. Obviously, the negative plays, the really bad plays stand out, and it's hard to forget that. But I think he played a little bit better than maybe we gave him credit for after the game. And I think Spain played all right, too. So, again, it's it's still a trio, specifically a guard duo, that you know they can give you 15 to 20 quality plays a game. But if there is talent at defensive tackle against them, the, the other 40 or so plays is kind of up in the air. And we kind of saw, for, for the most part, that on Sunday. Well, wide receivers, we'll talk a little bit about them. I was a little surprised that Tyler Boyd wasn't as heavily featured, but it was the Higgins and Jamar Chase show. I'm going to let you go off on this, John, because Chase has been your guy. You had some cool stuff on Twitter showing uh, some, you know, some quick pictures of how he was catching the ball and where. And like you said, vintage Jamar Chase from LSU connecting with Joe Burrow on a number of occasions there. I just feel great that he was able to rebound and shut people up, at least from that facet, because there's been more chatter since about a different thing. But I'm glad he was able to shut some people up for week one. Five catches. One of them was put right in the breadbasket for 50 yards. One of them was like a screen when he just caught with his stomach. It was three other catches, I think, that stood out. His first one was like a deep out uh, towards the far hash. and. Yep. Uh, he wasn't given a lot of yards of a catch opportunity there. So the placement of the throw wasn't that important because he was going to get tackled right afterwards regardless. But he came back to the ball, made an adjustment, caught it behind his head. Second catch, it was like a, it was a slant. He created separation. The ball was a little bit behind him again. Had to make an adjustment. Just landed right in his soft hands, got some yards of the catch. That third and 16, right before the fourth, fourth and one that we just talked about, that was actually that was a little bit in front of him. Tucked the ball in, decreased his target area to get tackled, Got some yards of the catch, finished the run, probably should have gotten the first down. It was vintage Jamar Chase. Never had drop issues in college. I know he was credited with like 10 or so of them, but it was never a sign of his hands being too small or his lack of tracking ability or him not seeing the eyes or him always expecting the white stripes on the ball. He's always had soft hands. He's always had this connection with Burrow. and He's always had the ability to just put his hands up and just let the ball fall in. And I think as soon as he had that end around on the first play, where he just had the ball in his hands and he got tackled, I, I'm assuming those jitters kind of wore off. And after, as soon as that was good, I'm sure Burrow trusted him 100%. And I know he said, like, after the game, like, people were concerned and came up to him like, man, I hope Chase shows up today. And he's like, it's Sunday. It's game day. Jamar's going to show up. That's what they did for the entirety of 2019. And I think he had, I think he had a lot of things to prove. I, I don't know if he, how much that he heard about him 
uh, leading up to this week, but I think he shut a lot of people up, and rightfully so. Well, again, just great to see Jamar Chase play not only that well, but just rebound in general from a, a really, really a tough preseason and and one where he had he had to have heard a lot of exterior noise, and so um, really great to see him. And as big as of a key that that he was, John, in the victory. You got to look at the other side of the ball, the defense. Um, I mean, I know Evan McPherson hit his two kicks and th- all three extra points. He and of course the game winner, and, and God, God love him for that. But the defense and the defensive line in particular, uh, I was very, very impressed with Larry Ogunjobi. It feels like every single time he was on the field was in on a play and or had a big play. B.J. Hill, a guy who was just brand new here, comes in and has two sacks. You know, Hendrickson and Hubbard had very active games as well. I was very impressed with the defensive line, and I felt that that was kind of the trickle down in terms of some quality play at the linebacker spots from Jermaine Pratt, some good pass coverage from Davis Gaither. Uh, Logan Wilson was out there doing some things. And then, of course, quite a few nice plays by the secondary as well. Ogan Joby was special, man. Like, I know he had an opportune matchup. Vikings guards aren't anything to write home about, but. The first game without Geno Atkins and just knowing how much that they've struggled to find a, a competent long-term replacement for him, for him to play that well. And I don't know why he didn't grade a little bit higher in pro football focuses ranks. Yeah, I think he right. only got like a, a 70.8 pass rush grade and like a 70.1 overall grade. He was impactful in both run defense and pass rush. And when he wasn't on the field, it was B.J. Hill and he was making impacts too. Like quietly, B.J. Hill has two sacks. Billy Price is sitting on the bench in New York and BJ Hill is, is sagging <laughs> Kirk Cousins with significant snaps. Like it was, it was awesome, man. Like, I, like, I, I don't know how, I don't know how you felt about like just watching that defensive line look the part like they did in the preseason. And I know Hendrickson and Hubbard didn't have like fantastic games by any means, but I mean, I think Hendrickson had like five pressures as well, but I, I guess this is something to, to monitor going forward because it's a little bit difficult to gauge the overall effectiveness of the defensive line when you're going up against the Vikings offensive line. But I think the plan with Ogan Joby is, is fulfilling to their liking, right? He was this misguided or misplaced nose tackle for the Browns, even though he had the attributes of a three technique pass rushing defensive tackle. And he just looked the part of the ideal Geno replacement. And I mean, you, you had a closer view than I did. Like it, it, it just, it just felt different than last year for as it should, because they had just corpses for defensive tackles last year. My thinking of it, was when I saw things working well on defense at multiple levels, I know Trey Waynes wasn't in there. I know there's no Joseph Osai, but what I, what I said was this is exactly what Lou Anarumo has wanted this. He he's wanted rotation up front. He's wanted to be able to generate pressure from the interior. And I, I didn't mention his name. DJ reader was outstanding as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and moving guys around up front, and then being able to play those three safeties. Unfortunately, we've got some news on one of those three that played quite quite a few snaps and played very well in Ricardo Allen, but he was out there along with Vaughn Bell and Jesse Bates on a number of different packages. And so I this when I saw it, I just said, This is this is what Lou has wanted since he's been here. And we're seeing, we started to see quite a bit of his design and it working very well. Unfortunately, you know, the, the, 
they got put in a bad position with that failed fourth down. And then they kind of, I, I think they got, got in their own heads a little bit towards the end there to cause the game to be tied. But, you know, for definitely for, you know, two and a half quarters and uh, you know, they held strong in overtime as well. Uh, I mean, they were, they were making plays and they were getting after the quarterback, which could not be said the past two seasons. But what also can't be said, and I think you alluded to it, having a 14 point lead, pretty deep into the second half, blowing it, not having any success on offense, going to overtime, and then punting on the first two possessions of overtime, it all smelled like a loss, right? Like, you know, the crowd was hype, and I was I was feeling myself a little bit, but the entire time I'm thinking, like, they're if this is the Bengals I know, they're they're not gonna come out of here with a win. I don't I I, I can't put my finger on what allowed things to change. Like we can just cite culture Joe Burrow and stuff like that. But honestly, I just think it's just a group of individuals who are just saying enough of this, right? Like that, that Jermaine Pratt force fumble that, that doesn't happen in the last two years, the, nope. the fourth and one ballsy call to CJ Zoma. That doesn't happen. We saw last year, it, it the, the field goal missed for Randy Bullock. Like that doesn't happen. Like right. I, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird conversational points because we can't quantify this stuff. We can't, analyze it with any objectivity it's just stuff that we feel it's it's our perspective and i i don't know how to place it right now but while they were blowing that 14 point lead i'm like the bengals that i know under zach taylor they don't come out of this game with a victory regardless of the energy of the crowd regardless of they've been at home and they found a way to win and that has to mean something it, it does mean something john because this was a one possession game and what what was their Seven of them last year, I think. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. but And Zach Taylor just could not, and his teams could not close out one possession games, regardless of who the quarterback was, regardless of, of you know, the, the talent they did or didn't have at certain spots. But maybe this is a deeper team. Maybe they are believing that Joe Burrow can get them a win in any type of situation and in any game. And maybe with so many new faces coming from so many different places, whether it's rookies, whether it's second year guys and and guys just that have not been around that. Here we go again, mentality of what that has just plagued the Bengals, even in some of their best years, maybe they're able to brush that off and be like, we're not, we're not, we're not this group anymore. We're not that, we're not that group that you've seen a bunch of times. I know it's one game. Maybe we're overreacting to that, but, there, there were kind of a lot of demons that were slayed a little bit with this win. 100%. Like, just the comparison to last year, I think, is is very is very apt, just, just with the way that it ended and how things just had to go their, their way. Like, for the Vikings to be penalized, like, 12 times for a call to go against their way for the Bengals' favor, like, that that just that doesn't happen, right? It's, it was very mistake-free football. There's a lot of things that they can do better, obviously. This is not a finished team. This is still week one, and there are definitely some shortcomings. But when they needed to make plays, when their backs were against the wall, they made those plays. And there wasn't really a specific uh, spot on the team where you could say, like, that was a legitimate problem. Like, aside from maybe Trey Hopkins, like, that was, like, a legitimate problem. There was no clear liabilities on the field. They played like the better team. I think I think you said it like they kind of got in their heads when they failed on fourth down, and obviously they had okay. We can talk about Eli Apple being some somewhat of a liability as well, but like we knew that he wasn't going to be that good, and they still overcame it. So 
that's what good teams do. Not, not every team, not everybody is going to be healthy all the time. You're not always going to have those breaks come your way, but it's just a matter of what you can control and how successful you are with it. And that's what, that's exactly what they were. Well, I think the confidence factor is definitely something that has to do with it. And that, as we wrap a nice little bow on the 1-0 start by the Cincinnati Bengals, because we went a little long on that, we're going to give you the soundbite of the week. It's a brief one, but I think that this confidence that you're going to see in, in here in this clip kind of points to the fact as to why the Cincinnati Bengals ended up coming out victorious in a game that not a lot of people thought they were going to hang on to. Thank you. I thought he was dropping everything. <laughs> Short but sweet. And when I, that is from WLWT, uh, local affiliate there, the NBC affiliate. I mean, it, it's funny. Joe didn't even smile, really. I mean, he was just like, boom, how do you like that? I mean, it was, it kind of reminded me of the old, uh, do you like apples? I, I got her number. How, how you like them apples from the old, uh, <laughs> the old Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Goodwill hunting movie. But, uh, I don't know, man. It just, that's the kind of stuff that just gets guys revved up and gets guys to believe. I feel like. So two of the oldest players on this team are Kevin Huber and Clark Harris. Evan McPherson was on Pat McAfee's show, I think Wednesday today. And Pat asked him about like, how do you like feel about the whole culture change? And like, is Joe Burrow legit? And McPherson just said like, you know, Clark and Kevin, they said that they've never felt this way about a Bengals team before. Like they've had talented teams in the past. They've had much more successful teams in the past, but just in the way, like the camaraderie, the, the overall chemistry, and I, I guess you can just throw out the buzzword culture in there. I think it's entirely palpable and guys feed off of it. They look at Burrow as not only this charismatic leader, but a guy who backs it up with his performance and his gutsiness and knows that that confidence is well-earned. And I think guys just feed off that. And when you match that with proper personnel and talent, good things start to happen. Evan McPherson, I believe he's the youngest kicker in NFL history to hit a game-winning kick. Jamar Chase has the best week one wide receiver, rookie wide receiver performance by a Bengals wide receiver in team history. I don't know. Those are the types of things. I mean, we, we can talk about, yeah, the, you know, the camaraderie and stuff, but the rookies and the new guys are stepping up. A lot of the free agents that we mentioned too, they're stepping up as well. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're going to get to a fun little game for a little bit, believe it or not. But before we do, we want to tell you about Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Our partnership with them continues through the 2021 regular season. And you can take advantage of some great incentives with the promo code OBI where you get uh, some some incentives with symbol gold. So you got to go to S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P backslash OBI and use that promo code OBI, of course, short for Orange and Black Insider, to get some incentives with symbol gold. And symbol, John, is where you can buy and trade, sell shares of stocks of teams like like it's the stock market, whether it's the Cincinnati Bengals, whether it's even another sport, they do it all. Absolutely. Symbol is the stock market for sports. And you guys know which teams are good, which teams are bad. Why not leverage that knowledge to make some coin off of it as well? Symbol has NFL teams, MLB teams, NBA teams, college football teams. So if there's any Buckeyes fans in the crowd here, maybe you want to sell your shares while they're still kind of high. If you're not feeling about the long-term future of that program with Kerry Combs, a defensive coordinator, but it really is that simple. You know, these teams have prices attached to them based off of how you feel about those teams. If you think they're going to be successful in the long term or you think they're going downhill, leverage that knowledge to make some long-term and short-term profits. Join the, the one of the first 7,000 early adopters who have already started to invest in their favorite teams by visiting www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI to get your free week of Symbol Gold. Well, time to get to it. Believe it or not, we've got a lot of topics to, to potentially talk about here. It's our it's our fun little game, believe it or not. I debated where to start here, John. Uh, I, we're, we're feeling pretty good about Joe Burrow, the offense. We're, we're feeling pretty good about a lot of different things. I, I got to tell you, I went to, I, I should also have thanked this establishment as well in Cincinnati at the beginning, Jeff Ruby Steakhouse. We went there every single night, whether we had full <laughs> meals or, or just drinks or hanging out. Um, and we had, we had a great time there, but uh, we met a couple of Canadian Bengals fans that uh, stopped us as we, as we walked in there and they, you know, obviously they're very excited about the, the game and the result. They were just dead set convinced that Joe Burrow is not healthy. He is, whether it was the injury that caused him to limp in the game yesterday or still recovering from the knee injury last year, whatever the case is, they are, they were dead set convinced that he is not fully healthy at this point in time. I, I tried to get a straight answer as to really why it was kind of, well, the lack of pass attempts and just some other things. Believe it or not, Joe Burrow is 100% at this point in time with the Cincinnati Bengals based on what you saw last week. I'm going to give a cheat answer. It's well, week two of the NFL season, no one's 100%. Regardless if you're coming off of a torn ACL from 10 months ago, getting hit on the football field, it's kind of painful, especially getting sacked five times. Everyone is sore. And I think this is, I mean, this is, this has to be the first time that he's getting tackled since last November and the last memory he had of getting tackled ended with him getting carted off. Is he hundred percent? Probably not. 
and I guess if we just wanted to talk strictly about the knee, it might be more towards 90, 95%. There were some times where, you know, kind of looked like he was a little bit shaky there and he had to come up limping. But how are we to say that that is because of that surgically repaired knee and not just because sacks hurt and you just kind of got sacked in a weird way? I, I think he said after the game, like, he's he's fine. And it wasn't like, like we can kind of tell when, when Burrow is kind of like stretching the truth a little bit, but he just genuinely said, like, no. Just got a little banged up, was on the cart. I'm fine. I don't think that we have – I don't think it's wise, I guess, for any of us to overly analyze, you know, how what, – what percentage the knee is at at this point. I think in general just getting hit and getting roughed up a little bit, especially with that brace on, it, it's just uncomfortable. That's just part of the game. But it just seems like kind of a wasted effort to just say, like, oh, if he gets hit this amount of times and he's going to feel at this percentage, like – like it's football guys get hit. He obviously is comfortable with it at this point. He didn't really shy away from those hits. He didn't really brace for contact in a, in a way that was reminiscent of the old Andy Dalton days. I think he's fine enough to, for us to just not really make that big of a deal about it. I I'm in agreement with you. I told those two fine gentlemen that I didn't really necessarily agree with them. Uh, I could see maybe where they were, thinking that based on, you know, the limping that we saw on Sunday and whatnot, but I, I, I didn't really think that is he all the way back a hundred percent, maybe not, but a sub 100%, a close to 100% Joe Burrow is a lot better than a lot of other quarterback situations in the league. And it wasn't like he was running around, throwing the ball out of bounds and trying to bail out of plays and all that kind of stuff. He was hanging in there, making throws, taking hits and, and making the clutch throws at the clutch times that needed to be made. So, you know, I, I and look, veterans always tell you, there's always this cliche, you know, I, we're never a hundred percent throughout the regular season. I don't know if that is or isn't the case with, with Joe Burrow, but uh, you know, I, I think he's, I think he's pretty dang close at this point. They still have to limit the, the sacks. They still have to limit the, the quarterback hits on him regardless, but I think he's, I think he's okay. And getting hit, what, like six or seven times against Mike Zimmer? That's pretty normal. Like, obviously, fans are expecting, you know, the Bengals to completely protect him and not allow him to get sacked at all. And if he does, then it's a complete institutional fail- failure from the front office down. Vikings are freaking talented. They have pass rushers. Dan- Daniel Hunter, he's a freaking monster. Michael Pierce, really good player that they knew from Baltimore. Vikings have a really good defensive line and a really good defensive coordinator. The fact that he was only hit seven times on, like, 30-something dropbacks, that's a win in my book. Yep. What? Where are we going next? So we kind of talked about it earlier, about the whole run-pass ratio a little bit. I don't think that there's going to be very many games when Joe Mixon has more attempts than Joe Burrow. But just for the sake of expanding on this conversation, do you foresee this commitment to running on early downs, to limiting the amount of traditional dropbacks with Joe Burrow? Do you foresee this as something that's dependent upon the opponent or is it just basically the timeline because the two could coincide they have the bears who traditionally have a really good defense they didn't really play that well against the rams but then they have the steelers the next week and then they have the jaguars the week after that do you foresee this ratio this commitment to early down running as something that we can expect for the entire year or do you think it's just something that right now they just feel comfortable about it because like what mixon is doing and they want to get burrow a little bit off the rust i don't 
I actually think it's going to be something that is, I, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, sniffing 30 carries every single game for Joe Mixon. I think it'll be up there though for the majority of the season because what's what's probably my my take on it is let's ease Joe back in a little bit. They want to they want to be balanced on offense anyway, but let's ease Joe back into it a little bit at the beginning of the schedule here. Then we kind of get in a groove. Maybe we 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 do some different things. Maybe the offensive line shows some improvement. Then we can kind of rely on Joe a bit more throwing the ball. And then late in the year having a back like Joe Mixon, you know, I, I've, I've kind of said this is, I guess it's an old school mentality, but the weather gets pretty bad in, in a lot of these AFC North games late in the year, a lot of these other games late in the year, you're going to need to run the football and whether it's substantially more than you pass or what have you, you're going to need to be able to run the football. So my, my, my answer is I think they're going to seek some form of a balanced attack. I don't know that it's going to be absolutely like 50-50 basically what you saw this week every single week. And I do think it will be opponent dependent, but I think they're going to try and find that balance very, you know, almost every single game if they can. So we talked about this entering the season. Like if they had their way, they would have this type of game plan every single week. No coach, no matter how much they love their quarterback, no coach doesn't want to run the ball because it's, it's, it's quote unquote smart, quote unquote safe. It's predictable. It, 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 you know, keeps your offensive line around at, at, a, at a high, if you will. I am interested to see what happens if they are playing from behind because the game script was perfect for them, right? The Vikings were very anemic on offense, more anemic than the Bengals were to begin the game. Then the Bengals broke open the game with, with, with some of their passing game, and they were successful running the ball throughout the, the entirety of the game, and there was never a point where they were, like, down. Like, the, the Vikings came back and made the game close, and then they had to kind of open up the playbook a little bit more and when they couldn't do that, that's why the game went into overtime and why overtime lasted a full 10 minutes. What happens in the in the near future if they are down a score or two? Because like, we've seen in the last two years, like that's why they've had to throw the ball a lot. That's that's how this run pass and balance comes into play. If you go down early in the game, you will be forced to throw the ball because that is the most efficient way to score points and move the ball down the field. What happens when this game script, it doesn't go your way, if you start taking more penalties, if your opponent is, is walking all over your defense. I don't know. That is going to be the biggest point. How much of catastrophe for the entire game has to go wrong for Joe Mixon to not get these amount of carries? That is my, my biggest question. I I just I think they want to be able to – I mean, they hired Frank Pollock not only to fix the offensive line, but they gave him a specific slash in his title that says run game coordinator. They want to be able to run the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I think for a variety of reasons, take a little bit to, to avoid some of these 50-plus pass attempt games from Joe Burrow, particularly coming off this knee injury. And for so many other reasons, you got to have balance. you got to be able to utilize play action and, and be able to sell that at times when you need it. So, um, I, I, again, I don't know if it's going to be exact 50-50 splits. There's, pro- the, there's probably going to be games that dictate that they do something, you know, one way or the other more more than the other but uh i i think they're going to try and seek as much balance as possible on offense and and so we'll see how they how they fare going forward with that goal john the uh, we mentioned this earlier the offensive line the interior namely xavier suofilo and trey hopkins had some issues believe it or not do you think the Bengals will make any kind of change in the near future later in the season 
Um, do you predict, if you look in your crystal ball there, do you predict continued issues by those two and the Bengals making a possible lineup change at one of those two spots, given what we saw in week one? So I think that it's not just going to be a week before Trey Hopkins completely returns to normal. I think against the Bears, he could still have some of these struggles. But the alternative is a, is a six-round rookie in Trey Hill. Like, that's your only other guy on the active roster who has the ability and experience of snapping the football. I don't think that you just abandon one of your core offensive leaders in Trey Hopkins to a rookie who has never played before and is your only other option, right? I, I don't think that sends a good message. Obviously, Hopkins needs to play better, and unfortunately, this process can't really be expedited. It's really all just all up to him just getting back as quickly as possible, but it's the Bears and it's the Steelers, and they have talented defensive interior linemen, so he's just got to play better. I don't think that Hill's coming into the game. Carmen is the interest, or Jackson Carmen is the interesting variable here. Um, he was active over Deontay Smith. I think that was going to be something that was interesting to see. Like, I don't know if these are just entirely week to week thing, or maybe they just feel more confident or just want to give those first opportunities to Carmen in case something does happen unfortunate to one of Quinn Spain or uh, Xavier Suafilo. But I do think that's, that Carmen does enter the game with significant snaps before the season's up. I don't know if that's because like they're just underwhelmed with Suafilo or they're just desperate to give Carmen some chances. But I mean, I don't think Suafilo is ever going to play well enough where you don't think eventually about giving your second round rookie some opportunities. So I don't think it's going to happen in the near future, but I definitely think it's going to happen sometime this year for sure. I, this, they, that can't continue. I mean, uh, there, there are some issues obviously that need to be worked out. I do think Trey Hopkins will get things sorted out as, as the season progresses. Um, I think we just kind of know who Xavier Suafilo is at this point in time. And it, it more performances like this in the season, just, they can't continue. So I, I, I kind of believe yes, that the Bengals, we may see more of these because of the issues that we've outlined already. So I, I do believe that we may see a lineup change of some kind a little bit down the road this year, maybe even just to try it out for a series or what have you. We'll see, but um, I do believe it. We're running a little long, John. Is there any other believe it or not scenarios you want to get to before we talk about the bears game? Uh, believe it or not, you had full confidence in both of Evan McPherson's kicks going in. <laughs> yes, I <Okay>. did. <laughs> I did. Uh, you know, I I felt like there was a little the the little demon in the back of my mind was going, oh, you know, fifty three. You know, he's a rookie. It's the first game. He's you know, he's perfect in the preseason. Of course, he's gonna. But I felt I felt pretty good about it, and I really felt good about the overtime kick mm-hmm. based on the distance and just how that momentum swing worked out for the team. I felt I felt that it was just you know what that play was massive, and now they're gonna now they're gonna finally wrap this thing up. So uh, I, I was I was pretty dang confident in both of those kicks, even though one was from fifty three, right, and mm-hmm. uh, the other was in an absolute crunch time situation. So I was pretty confident. Were you? Yeah, it was just a rhetorical question. I knew we were all confident. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's believe it or not. And I guess we were uh, winding around the actual believe it or not question. But that's okay. That's okay. It was a good segment. We like talking about all this stuff. So, um, John, why don't you 
get us up to date on some of the news and stuff as we go into the Bears game surrounding Cincinnati Bengals, if you wouldn't mind. Right. Bengals are 1-0, but there are 16 more games left in the schedule, and the next one <laughs> is with the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. The big news that came out of Cincinnati today, Ricardo Allen, the backup safety, played 21 snaps in this game. Not only strained his hamstring, but he also broke his hand. Uh, the latter is the reason for why Zach Taylor placed him on injured reserve designated to return. The hope is that he misses at most a few weeks. In response to this, they activated Trenton Irwin, a wide receiver to the 53-man roster. He does not play safety, but Sean Davis does. The former Pittsburgh Steeler was signed to the practice squad. They now have two safeties on the practice squad, one of them being Trayvon Henderson, who, it should be noted, was given the protection designated designation as one of the four practice squad players who the 31 other teams can also not poach to get on their active roster. So it's entirely likely that Henderson takes uh, Ricardo Allen's place on the active roster. And Anthony, I thought that was an interesting thing in the game because last year, like we kind of expected Sean Williams to be involved, mm -hmm. at least in some degree on the defense, and he just never really played. So the expectation now is like, oh, I guess Allen's only out here to be a primary backup and just never see the field and only play special teams. 21, 21 snaps, I think a PFF grade of like 85. He was yeah. involved in the defense. So unfortunately, this loss kind of hurts more than it does looks it looks on the surface. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I definitely remember Sean Davis from his time in, in Pittsburgh and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think Ricardo Allen was Lou Anarumo's guy. I mean, that was a, that was one of the earlier signings and a guy that – played slot corner at times, was small for a safety, but provided, again, that flexibility and allowed Von Bell to do some of the things that he does best and allowed Jesse Bates to do some of the things that he does best when all three of them are out on the field. So I, I don't know if they envision Davis kind of taking a similar role. I don't know what they're going – if they're going to have one of these other safeties behind them that uh, will, will step in and do that, a, a Brandon Wilson or whoever. But they – you know they got they got to kind of try and get close to replicating that because like you said the the 80 plus PFF grade on over 20 snaps that's that's a big hole to fill yeah and he was active around the ball you know he, i just just seen him out there in general it was it was a pleasant surprise to see him with the other three safeties because obviously or the other two safeties because obviously Bates and Bell didn't come off the field so expect to see one of Brandon Wilson or Trayvon Henderson out there against the Bears or just maybe less three safety looks but speaking of the Bears, Bengals' first road game of the season, traditionally kind of a hostile environment. The last time they played there was in 2013. That was kind of a heartbreaking loss with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green back in the, I believe it was the season opener of the 2013 season. But now Andy Dalton is playing for the Bears and by all accounts is still going to start over the rookie stud Justin Fields, who surprisingly played in the Rams game. He was one of two, one of two rookie quarterbacks that was – oddly rotated in the game trail lands for the 49ers being the other one. But Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback that they face for 98% of these snaps, unless he is benched and booed beyond belief. Aside from the Dalton storyline, who, by the way, he's 1-0 against his former team after winning last year with the Dallas Cowboys. What is the other matchup storyline that you're watching this game? Because the Bears, to me, are a very weird team. We know that they're not very good but they're probably a little bit better than they were against the Rams, or maybe they're just much worse than we think that they are. 
Well, individual matchups. I mean, we there there are a number of different things you can you can point to there. I, again, we've we've kind of harped on them a little bit, but how quickly can the Cincinnati Bengals clean things up at the center position and at the right guard position? Quentin Spain played well. The tackles played well. They just have to start eliminating the pressure, the hits, the sacks on Joe Burrow. And hey, look, I, I it's not just on those two guys specifically either. Drew Sample had a really poor pass blocking PFF grade. The two running backs, the, Mixon was one of the higher PFF overall scorers of, of the day, but he had a poor pass blocking grade, as did Samaj P. Ryan. So, I mean, they're going to need to find a back to be able to pick up some of these blitzers and whatnot as well. So, I mean, it's kind of a combination of factors, but that inside of the offensive line, I, I've started to grow really confident on the outside of, of course, Khalil Mack's going to be a, an issue this week, but I, I've grown more confident on those two in those two tackles on the outside there, that interior of the offensive line remains a key spot for me. I think the Rams expected Khalil Mack to be a factor against them. And he, for some reason he just wasn't like that defense line didn't have Eddie Goldman. who might be, there's, who's probably the second best defensive lineman. Yeah. And he's currently nursing a knee injury. He was limited during Wednesday's practice, but like it, it does seem like the bears are just, they're too talented to be this bad. And I think it could be a case of just like the late Marvin Lewis years where it's Matt Nagy, who kind of feels like a lame duck coach at this point, even though they just drafted a quarterback in the first round. Like it doesn't seem like they're really playing that hard for this current regime right now. And that might have kind of like a mental impact on some of these talented guys. But honestly, like the Bears defensive line versus the Bengals offensive line is obviously a matchup to look for. If Goldman plays, I think that could be a problem for both guards. Akeem Hicks, even though he didn't really, really play that well against the Rams, he's still really talented and can take advantage of the Bengals' interior offensive line. But, you know, Khalil Mack didn't really play that well against the Rams, and that's a good opportunity for Jonah Williams and Riley Reef to really up their rep. But also, I think the most interesting part is going to be the Bengals' defensive line versus the Bears' offensive line. Bears' offensive line in, in years past has been solid. Now it's kind of a dumpster fire. They don't really know who their left tackle is right now. Jason Peters started – He's four years old, and he got hurt in the middle of the game. Their backup, Larry Borum, he came in, and he also got hurt, and he didn't practice on Wednesday. So it's probably going to be a less than 100% Jason Peters, who's, again, 40 years old. But their interior offensive line, I don't even know who their center is. Like Sam Mustafer, I don't know if that's a real name or not. James Daniels and Cody Whitehair didn't really play that well at both guard spots. If we talk about, I mean, we did talk about the Bengals' defensive line and how impressive they looked. Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, they all looked great against the Vikings, you know, piss poor offensive, interior offensive line. This is another chance for them to really boost that reputation against the unit that's still definitely finding themselves. But at the same time, you have a running back in David Montgomery, who I think had almost as many rushing yards as Joe Mixon and looked really impressive, like the most impressive player for that Bears offense. So I think that is honestly the, the place to watch for it. Is this Bengals defensive line legit? Can they string together two great performances again back-to-back because – this is definitely an opportunity for them to do so because that Bears offense line, it's kind of in shambles right now. Yeah, they should have, based on what we saw last week, based on what you were saying about the offensive line there, they should have a pretty similar performance as they did against the Vikings. Here's a little bit of a, a snapshot uh, if you're watching the YouTube channel here of some of the things going on at Wednesday's practice. You see Marcus Bailey and Darius Phillips were limited with differing injuries, knee and thigh respectively. Joe Burrow was a full participant, Brandon Wilson 
full participant as well. I want to talk about Darius Phillips in just a second. Um, and here is the Bears injury report. Here you see uh, Larry Borum, an offensive lineman with an ankle, uh, did not practice. Jimmy Graham, um, he resting, did not practice. Eddie Goldman was limited. He was out. He did not play last week. Jason Peters, like you said, limited. Robert Quinn limited. Another guy to watch, obviously, as an edge edge rusher type of guy. Marquise Goodwin, full practice, uh, and a couple of others, full practice there as well for the Bears. I want to I want to talk about Darius Phillips here because the Trenton Irwin thing call up is interesting because there was Sean Davis sitting there. I know he's a new face to to everything going on here, but I kind of thought that would be with Ricardo Allen landing on on probable short term IR that would have been the call up, and you kind of use him in a similar way as Ricardo Allen. That's not the case. He's still on the practice squad as of Wednesday evening. They call up Trenton Irwin. Is this now a situation, John, in your mind where, hey, Eli Apple had some struggles last week. We're bringing up Trenton Irwin to do some things as a punt returner, and now it's Darius Phillips' time on the outside. We're going to promote him and ask more of him on defense as a cornerback as opposed to relying on Eli Apple for the second week in a row because Trey Waynes is out. I'm not so sure, man. I, I think Lou Anarumo was asked about Eli Apple, and he's and he kind of gave like, like you know, like the the defensive father type of response, like, <laughs> oh, you know, he didn't play as bad as you, as you guys think that he did, which is like what Jim Turner said about the offensive line last year. Eli Apple did not play very well against the Vikings, but mm-hmm. again, that's more or less the expectation when you have Eli Apple out there. Luckily, he's not going to go up against Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson this time. It'll be Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney. Two talented guys in their own right, but I don't think the Bears have any confidence in throwing the ball regardless. So maybe they see this as an opportunity to say, okay, Eli, Eli, you didn't play that well last week, but now you have a better opportunity to look good because the competition isn't going to be as fierce. I think, honestly, with Irwin calling up, maybe they do want to give him opportunities as a bumper turner because, honestly, Darius Phillips didn't really impress that much. I think he had like one decent 15-yard return early in the game, but other than that, it didn't look any – Real, real different than Alex Erickson out there. So, you know, good for Irwin. He had a phenomenal training camp in preseason. I think we were all kind of a little bit surprised that he was on the cutting room floor uh, when final cuts happened. So good for him to get this active roster game check, and we'll see if he does make any contributions on special teams. What do you think the Bengals should do if the Bears, uh, I mean, in all likelihood, we're going to see it again. We're going to see a two-quarterback system. I mean, last week, Fields had a handful of snaps and Dalton was still the starter. I assume that's going to happen again this week in some capacity, maybe even more so because Fields was pretty successful on, on some of those snaps there. What do you think the Bengals do to, to remedy that? I, you know, that, that seems to be a a pretty tough task to kind of defend two different, two very different styles of play two very different quarterbacks. And we still think we're going to see Andy Dalton out there for the majority of them, but I'm betting that there's going to be an increased amount of snaps this week for Justin Fields. It's so bizarre, man. Like, I don't see the point in it. Like, I, I know that Fields is obviously a better athlete than Dalton, but is that really worth Is Is that how you want to give him his first exposure in the NFL? Like, I think there's value with Fields kind of sitting the, these games out because it's kind of a dumpster fire right now. And who knows what the long-term stability of that regime in Chicago is. But at, at the very least, they're not going to be in the Rams situation and they don't have to face it without any game tape to go off of it. I think they're going to just be glued to what they saw on Sunday night and do their best to kind of game plan around it because 
I don't know how much they trust Fields right now to have have like actual offensive plays. But when it comes to Dalton, I think he'll play better than he did against the Rams. He'll be at home, but at the same time, he'll be at home with a month with seventy thousand drunk Bears fans who are ready to boo him at a moment moment's notice when he throws a ball into the dirt. So that whole dynamic is going to be interesting. I don't think that Fields um, takes over for Dalton in this game, but I think Bears fans are going to really want that and really push it with their voice. There's obviously the longtime Bengal fan of me says, oh boy, this is just a storyline for Andy Dalton to get a, a win against his old team and go 2-0. and 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 you look back to last year, he, he had some nice plays and the, you know, the Cowboys beat up on the Bengals for, for a win on Paul Brown Stadium turf there. Here's the deal. It, going in Andy Dalton's corner, like you said, home game, uh, a, a second week in the system and, and getting kind of that rust and all kinds of jitters out. And here's the other thing, John, in playing in Andy Dalton's corner, not Sunday night football. It's, it's a standard <laughs> Andy Dalton time, standard, standard Andy Dalton time. But the one thing that is much, much different that is going heavily against him, and you just kind of talked about it, it's the fact that last year when he was with Dallas, he knew Dak was hurt and out, and there wasn't the pressure of someone breathing down his neck. That's not the case here. And Andy Dalton, under certain types of pressure and certain types of pressure situations, we've seen a lot of sample sizes of that. Not just mental pressure, but physical pressure. I, yeah. I think, yeah, like my, I was on a, a Bears podcast right before this, and they asked about like an under the radar name that Bears fans should be aware of. You know, Mike Hilton didn't play necessarily great against the Vikings. And that's just from some mishaps in coverage. But as a run defender, as a guy close to the line of scrimmage, he was the Mike Hilton that we saw in Pittsburgh. I think there's going to be opportunities where Lou and Rumo, you know, disguises some late slot blitzes or delayed slot blitzes. And, mm-hmm. you know, knowing what we know about Andy Dalton, that's that's not really going to be that great for him. So the offensive line is already not really great in front of him, which will give Hendrickson and Ogan Joby some opportunities to create some pressure. But I think Hilton will have one or two opportunities to get a free shot on Dalton, and that could rattle him for the entire game. But to his credit, you know, it's not, not even a 1 p.m. Easter game. It's a 12 p.m. Easter game in Central Time. That might actually benefit him. Well, we'll see. We know we know Sunday Andy, so and not Sunday night Andy. Those are sometimes two different players. We're going to talk about a couple of key players of the game, something else about the game, and then give predictions. You mentioned Mike Hilton is one of your keys. John, who else do you have as a potential key in this one for the Bengals going forward? You know, I, I mentioned the interior offensive line. You mentioned Mike Hilton. And obviously the defensive line. Is there just kind of some one or two other specific players where you're like, man, this guy, this guy has to play well. I don't know if he has to play well, but I I look forward to seeing how Tyler Boyd plays in this game. I think last week was obviously Chase's coming out party. Higgins looked pretty good as well. Boyd wasn't really that involved in the offense in general. He had like an impressive catch on like an out route from a beautiful throw from Burrow. But I think he does see a little bit more targets in this game. Bears defense is nothing special at the moment, specifically with their secondary. So I think he's going to have more opportunities to break for you over the middle. But yeah, it was, you know, for what we expected, Boyd, it was almost a little bit underwhelming. And maybe that's just the case with these three receivers. Maybe only two of them are going to eat per week and one guy just has to sit out. But I think this is an opportunity for Boyd to really get his first uh, good game of the season underway. I think I talked about him last week, maybe if, if my memory serves correctly. 
I, I'm looking at Chidobe Awuzie again. I, I, you know, with the other cornerback situation going the way that it is, and we talked about Darius Phillips, is he going to step in? Is it Eli Apple again? Uh, Awuzie had a good game last week. He had two passes mm-hmm. defended and 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 played pretty well on that other side there. Uh, I, I think he's going to need to play well again to pick up some of the slack, especially now with Ricardo Allen out of the mix too. He's going to need to play well and uh, you know show that that he's is maintaining that momentum that he showed in the preseason and in week one. So that's another guy. Maybe I, I chose him last week. I'd have to go back and look at the look at the episode, but that's a guy again. I just look at this week. He's got it. He's got to play well. John, how important is this one after what happened this last week for the Bengals? It's an interconference game, so you kind of say, well, it's not divisional. It's not an AFC foe, anything like that. But from a confidence perspective, getting past their old quarterback, all that kind of stuff, is that kind of overblown storyline? Are they okay if they end up dropping this one? Or do they kind of need it based on what's going on the next couple of weeks? Well, as many Ohio State fans like to tell me and everyone else, the best part about going to one to know is going to a no the next week. <laughs> um, I, I think the Dalton storyline is a little bit overblown at this point. I think at this point, it's just a matter of is it Dalton for a half and then Fields for another half, or is it Dalton for the entire game? Dalton got his revenge last year. Good for him. It's a wacky game with like three fumbles in the span of five minutes, but good for Andy Dalton to get that revenge and that redemption, if you will. I, I think with the in the Bengals uh, case, though, this is a game that they should win. They're the better team on paper. They're the more talented team. The uh, The opposing team is kind of collapsing at the moment. It's a lot of pressure with every critical member of that team in general. You know, the pressure is completely on them. It's not necessarily on the Bengals right now. They needed to win the first game to be in this position to go 2-0 and then face a Steelers team that is probably a little bit better than what we gave them credit for over the offseason. But I think that week three to week four stretch is, is very crucial. And to be 2-0 going into Steelers week and then having only four days what west four days rest after the Steelers game to face the Jaguars at home with all the festivities on that night, it would be crucial to be at the very least 3-1 entering October. This is the easy part, at least on paper, of their schedule, and they need to take advantage of it, and that includes winning games like this. Week three was the magic words that you mentioned as to why I believe this game is important. It sounds weird to say week three is what makes week two important, but getting to be 2-0, and if the Bengals go in and end up dropping the one in Pittsburgh in week three, having that 2-0 and start obviously makes things a lot easier. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, that this is important in terms of just kind of staying staying at a good pace. And, you know, the Steelers got a nice win in Buffalo last week. And that, I think that surprised a lot of us going into Pittsburgh will never be an easy feat for the Bengals. So, you know, I think I think getting this win, even though it's not a conference game, is important. All games are important anyway, but I think this is maybe a little more important than it may look on paper, being that it's not a conference game. It's not a divisional game, that sort of thing, because it sets you up well. If you get this win, it sets you up well. If there is a problem in Pittsburgh, if there is a problem on that short week, that sort of thing, it, it, it kind of gets that momentum going for you in the right direction if there is a stumble a little later on. But what's your prediction? Go ahead. Oh, no, I was waiting for you to say it. What's your prediction? They should score 30, but I don't think that they do. I think that the Bears are going to find some 
way to bounce back a little bit in front of their home crowd. The Bengals offense is kind of feeling themselves right now, but I, I think this is going to be a little bit sobering, but they should still come out on top. So I'm going to say 23 to 20. Andy Dalton plays better. The offense doesn't look as consistent and as efficient as it did against Minnesota. Maybe that's just because they're on the road and maybe the Bears bounce back a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, they still come out on top 23, 20. Okay. I'll go, I'll go 30, 21 Bengals. Um, I just, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll kind of head in the right direction there. Um, I, I think this is a, a, this, this feels, I mean, I know it's on the road. This feels maybe a little bit, I don't know, maybe a little bit more winnable than the Minnesota game. I, I don't know, but they are still about, depending on when you looked it would, they were like a three point underdog and it dropped to two and a half. And then I think it dropped down to two at this point. So but that, that kind of keeps changing there in terms of the Bengals being underdogs in this game. But uh, one, I think that they should, win. Um, they can win based on what we saw in week one from both of these teams. I feel like that's um, it, it's a winnable game. And I have to give kudos to both John and myself because we basically picked the score on the dot for the Bengals Vikings game last week. I, I went first, so I stole John's thunder there, but he said he was going to pick that score. I picked that score. So let's try not to break our arms, patting ourselves on the back there, but uh, it was too it was late. Good. I'm already called John Stradamus in the comments. section. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. It's been a, been a good episode. A lot of stuff that we covered and we got to talk about a win, John, what do you got for us? Man, I'm just happy that I saw you, man. I'm glad that we got got to meet up uh, during during halftime. It, I I I've never really sat in the 300 section. I forgot how long and winding those those ramps are to get down to to the bottom of the, of the section. But it was really nice to meet you, your brother, and your nephew. Hopefully, I helped the recruiting process to bring your nephew out to UC. <laughs> I think he'll do well in Clifton. But I'm really glad that you got to experience. A great week in Cincinnati, you know, two or three meals of Jeff Ruby's probably didn't hurt as well, but it was really nice to meet you in person, man. It's been a long time coming, but it, it was well worth it. It was awesome. And you, you credit, you made more of the effort. We were waiting in line. We hadn't really eaten all day. So we're like, oh my gosh. And of course the 15 year old nephew, the, the, <laughs> you know, the never ending eater was just like, I'm hungry. So uh, we were all hungry though, to be honest. So we were trying to get some food and that line was wacky but you uh how, how you, quickly did you get out of it did you see it like oh no we, we left we had to leave it we had to leave the line after uh and Damn. i just found one of those road guys and just got some waters and stuff like that so uh yeah it took too long but it was great meeting you great meeting so many other Bengals fans great great tailgate experience i tried to get to multiple of those unfortunately didn't work hit so many different spots in Cincinnati. And it was cool to see so many different things happening on that weekend. There was the Billy Joel concert on Friday night at, at the red stadium, great American ballpark. There was uh, the UC game on Saturday. And then of course the big Bengals game, people were out having a good time. And it was just great meeting a lot of different people, yourself included. That was very, very special. And uh, I'm glad we made that happen. I'm glad I got to meet a lot of our, our listeners and readers of Cincy Jungle is really, really cool. Um, and so I, I missed a few that I really wanted to try and meet, but unfortunately, it's just such a short time window. It was hard to, to make everything happen, but it was a great weekend. Very memorable. Maybe that was the difference. Maybe they don't pull that game off if we're not both watching. I don't know. That's right. It's That's the right. analytics. That's right. <laughs> the analytics. Hashtag analytics. I love it. All right, well, let's get out of here. We both predicted a Bengals win. Let's hope it happens. The Bengals get to 2-0. John, 
Uh, I'm bummed I won't get to see you this Sunday in person, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be talking both on here and, you know, on Cincy Jungle for, for the stuff we got to do. But uh, have a great rest of your week, bud. You as well. All right. Take it easy, everybody. And in case you didn't know, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major audio streamers. Get the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel where you can get our show, Ace and Sims, Orange is the New Black, and, of course, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. That's also available on our YouTube channel. So go do that. Leave a rating on each if you can. Subscribe. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep bringing you all kinds of different content, and we hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Take it easy.